Welcome to The Joy of Comics, episode 12. I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Shaver. And today we are at the start of something new, something we are calling the Graphic Novel Book Club, or Graphic Novel and Trade Paperback Book Club, yeah, or something I mean, to that effect. Right. They're kind of uh, different different things. But either way, uh, we are starting off, or inaugurating the, season, the series with... A, uh, a rundown of, or our, our thoughts on, or a review or book club, club discussion of Outcast by Robert Kirkman and Volume One. Volume One, right? Only Volume One uh, by Robert Kirkman and uh, Paul, Paul Azaketa. As a Cita. As a Cita. I met him at Eurocon, so I should be. He said Keta. He said I, well, I don't even remember what he said. I just <laughs> you should being the key word there. I was like, I mean, yeah, but he was an awesome guy. Uh, you know, I love talking about him. Um, well, I, uh, I'm going to uh, apologize in advance for uh, the intro music. I'm planning on putting an intro song uh, at the beginning of this episode that is going to be uh, a little heavy-handed and funny, uh, considering yeah. the subject matter. Um, it has something to do with uh, heavy, dirty souls and okay. uh, having them be saved. Okay. Um, so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty funny. If I'd played it before we started talking here, you guys all probably would have had a laugh at how okay. on the nose it is. Nice. Um, that said, uh, let's talk about how we are going to lay out uh, this episode because we definitely want to have a portion people can listen to if they haven't read Outcast to get uh, to see if it's something that would interest them, and then also a second segment where we really go in and uh, do what we would call the spoiler cast portion of the episode. Um, that said, uh, how are we going to break that down, uh, Jordan? Well, pretty simply, we're just going to discuss uh, what the book is about. Outcast is an image comic series from, of course, the uh, king of image these days, oh, Robert yeah. Kirkman. The king of TV. It's yeah, ridiculous. That, too. Yeah. that show has no... Obviously, the big uh, uh, elephant in the room is The Walking Dead. I mean, this guy is... He's created a show that's is it the, is it currently the most popular show in the world? I think it might be network. I would imagine network. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Big Bang Theory is probably still the top. Yeah, yeah, but, but for, definitely drama, right? Uh, NCIS. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that darn NCIS is always stuck in my craw there. Um, but, but 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 yeah. So he's he is the he. It started as a comic book series. Both of these did, in fact. Uh, Outcast also has a TV show now. Although Outcast was much quicker to uh, the screen. Yeah, I mean, it was right. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll that. talk about that a little bit because yeah. it's, it's it's kind of almost a uh, uh, the, like a Mark Miller situation. Yeah, yeah. It's a pitch <laughs> almost a pitch document and a comic book series. Um, but but you know Robert Kirkman is huge in this series. I mean, it shows no The Walking Dead that it shows no signs of slowing down. I mean, this show's just getting more and more and more popular every year. Um, and so now with Outcast, obviously it's on Cinemax. It can be a little bit different, probably with with how successful it can get and how sure. quickly that can happen. Much smaller uh, access uh, people have, or much less access. Um, but but yeah, it's by Kirkman, obviously. By Kirkman uh, debuted last year. I believe 2015. Was it 2015? It might have been late. Maybe I'm thinking 2014. late 2014. Yes. We're going to know in about two seconds. Because they're about, let's see. Super um, prepped as always. They're in the, but, <laughs> well, the third trade just came out, so now we're about to go into the fourth arc, so that's nearing 20 issues, something like yeah. that. I mean, so, oh, no, no. So this, this trade came out January 2015. Uh, yeah, meaning so they, they had yeah. to be late 2014. 2014's when the book started. Yeah. Prepped as ever. Uh, and just we're going to take a look at this. It's seasonally appropriate. I think we are in the Halloween season now. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little early for some people. I'm fine with Halloween season starting in September. <laughs> but uh, we're excited to talk Chris, about Christmas it. in July, Halloween in September, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. We've all read the first volume. We're going to just talk generally about uh, maybe our experiences with Kirkman in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about some of the art, the coloring, just the general mood and aesthetic of the book, what it's about. And then we're going to have that spoiler cut off where we talk a little more in depth about what happens specifically beat for beat in the book. Uh, well, we might not, we're not going to dissect it, but we're going to talk about what we liked, what we Something made, didn't in between like. beat to beat and vagaries. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be the spoiler section. So uh, ideally, it's going to say as much in the. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably read it in Rich's write up. But yeah, you are clear to listen to this for at least a good while. And there's going to be a spoiler cut off if you haven't read the book uh, or if you don't care. Uh, you can keep listening, but uh, we're, we're making it easy for you guys to know what you can listen to without worrying. Uh, but yeah, that's the general breakdown of how we're going to talk about Outcast. Awesome. One. So I guess the best way to go into uh, any discussion like this uh, is to uh, discuss uh, sort of our, our reason why we picked the book up. Sure. Um, for all of us, uh, it wasn't because it was a book club selection initially, although we may do that in the future, mm-hmm. sort of decide on a book, but then I'll read it. In this case, though, it's something that all caught our interest for one reason or another, or at least... Right. 
there was some reason we, we cracked the cover. So right. what was that for each of us? How about for you, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, so um, my exposure to Kirkman, obviously, primarily through Walking Dead, I've read about, I'd say, 13 or 14 volumes, and then... Um, so not terribly much, you know. Ah, not like, terribly like, much. Thirteen. Well, think about like that. 20, With the exception well, of like Fables like, and Hellboy and a few others, like those are the only series you could ever even say that about. Yeah, that's, I know, but half, like they're, that's but half. that's about half. Yeah, I know. So like, all right, I mean, all right. So there's 28 um, volumes. Well, no, there's 26 like, just came out. Okay, recently. there are yeah, almost so 28 volumes. That's yeah, wow. Yeah, so um, so I read you know half of that series or so, and then seeing the show. Um, I've gotten more into horror comics and horror in general in the last few years. I'd say favorite horror comic of the past years was Scott Snyder's Witches. I love that one. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I had heard about Outcast for a little while. Um, I picked up this and the second volume earlier this year. Um, really enjoyed them both. And, um, you know, obviously if, you know, The Walking Dead is Kirkman's love letter to George A. Romero, then this is his love letter to The Exorcist and... All those um, possession, kind of demon possession movies yeah. and all that. Um, and it definitely has that aesthetic. And um, I love the artwork. As I said, I got to meet um, Paul at the Heroes Con and a um, great guy. Um, and he signed both my trades. So um, that was really cool. But yeah, so I mean, it was just one of those I'd heard about. I didn't want to check out. And um, I really enjoyed it both. Um, and I'm looking to pick up the third trade soon. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just one of those that. Um, had a lot of the horror elements that I liked, uh, and um, I thought I might find it enjoyable. Cool. Jordan? Uh, well, for me, I'm a huge horror buff. I have been for years. It's, like I said, Halloween season. I love it. I've, I'm always watching horror movies. This might even a... be the first year you do a, uh, a couple costume. You know? <laughs> well, no, we've done one before. <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah. Okay. We, uh, I did a Adam and... Or Adam. <laughs> Uh, Gomez and Morticia for from Adam's family. Okay, okay, right. I stand corrected. So, that, but that is—it's good thing I bring it up because that is a testament to your love for Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's dedication, I, my friend. Weirdly, I'm not the biggest on costumes, but I, I love horror movies, horror books. Okay. Uh, middle school, I was huge on reading. Middle school and high school, there was a whole line of just like cheap paperback fiction that would come out like monthly with new books, and I would buy them all and read them all. Uh, and then comics, obviously, there are plenty of great horror series in comics. Kirkman's The Walking Dead, Witches, as Kevin mentioned, American Vampire, yeah. uh, most things Scott Snyder or Kirkman Wright, mm-hmm. it seems. But Lock and key. Revival in some ways. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was just looking at a list of like the 50 current ongoing horror comics you need to be reading. I was oh, yeah. like, that's not even all of them, so that's weird. But yeah, horror is big in comics. I've always liked reading horror series. Uh, surprisingly, Outcast wasn't one I immediately jumped on, though, just because... Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of, of exorcism okay. fiction, just because when you get into religious iconography and you get into those types of characters, mm-hmm. it tends to be a, not not. There's nothing wrong with religious iconography. It's just when you're dealing with preachers and you know all that, it tends to get a little dry and serious, heavy-handed. Yeah, it's also a road that's been tread over and over again yeah. a lot. And because it's such a, it seems at least like such a niche thing. Like it's it's. I mean, it literally happens in one room with four walls, right? And 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 it's it, it, yeah. There can be conspiracies that spread out, but at the end of the day, it's a priest with a cross in his hand and holy water in a room with a possessed individual. Uh-huh. Where's the intrigue, right? I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, and so it's tight. It's it's sure. condensed. Even in, in film, I've, I'm not. I haven't. Uh, it's been years since I saw The Exorcist. I need to revisit it. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I wasn't the biggest fan. Uh, God knows, Gabriel Byrne. I have the the most visceral reaction to just because he was in two crappy like devil uh, church possession movies like in a row in the late '90s. He's kind of perfect for it. He yeah. is. He played. You know, he's your your uh, European father perfectly. But it's like, man, I can't stand him because I'm thinking of those terrible movies like yeah. Stigmata. But <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I it, so so it didn't immediately jump out to me, and and even in reading it, just to give away a little, I was like, yeah, when you get these kind of characters, they tend to speechify, and so I'm I'm always a little pushed away from that. But I think the writing in this pulled me in more than I expected. Uh, whether or not I ultimately am super excited to get to the second volume, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't even buy this. Kelsey, uh, co-host Kelsey, was the one who let me borrow her first and second volumes of it. And I really did enjoy the first one. I, I went through it pretty, I think, in about two days mm-hmm. the first time I read it because I was just like, no, 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 I'll keep reading it yeah. when I got the chance. Yeah. It's the first book I would grab off my pile. Uh, and I went through it pretty quickly. So uh, that, that was me where I was like, I wasn't super excited about Outcast, but I trust Kirkman's past yeah. and uh, just 
recommendations of people I know who liked mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, for me, when I was first getting into comics after Watchmen, one of the big things uh, that my local comic book guy recommended to me uh, was Walking Dead. And he pointed it out, and this is back when it was episode, issue like 50, and he was like, that's my favorite book on stands right now. He would say every week, so every month, it's the first book I pick up. I love it. It's the best. And I was always like, why? Why is that? And he was like, I just I can't explain it. It's just that good. Um, and so I, I checked out The Walking Dead. I read um, I, maybe the first 48 or something like that um, of that book and, and really liked it. Um, I, I, I don't love it like some people love it. Um, you know, and I think part of that comes down to the fact that horror in general and, and zombies and vampires and all of it uh, in the past, historically, hasn't always been my favorite genre. Uh, that's, that's interesting because you said it, Amvamp is one of your favorites. Well, Amvamp is, was was surprisingly um, amazing. I, I, it's hard to explain. Like Scott Snyder almost transcends what he's even writing about. Another example mm-hmm. of Scott Snyder doing that for me was Severed. It's funny you'd mention okay, that because yeah. Severed is a phenomenal book, very horror. Um, and, and I love that book. So uh-huh. he is able to bridge that gap for me, but generally, good point, but generally speaking, uh, it isn't my favorite genre. Okay. Um, that, so anyway, uh, that got me to see what Kirkman was about. I always saw Kirkman as uh, the everyman writer, and I think that's part of his uh-huh. success. Uh, he's not particularly like Harvard-educated or, or highly educated. He's not... Um, super. Uh, this this very expression sounds ludicrous, but highfalutin in the way he writes. He mm. he's very uh, down to earth and grounded. There were misspellings in the first twenty issues of The Walking Dead, like all the time. <laughs> um, you know, he just he's very much like base level. Here's the story. What he does have is phenomenal storytelling instincts. Yeah, just ridiculous chops on how to tell a story that's compelling. Keep it going. Constantly add interest and just throw little little stuff in there that makes your jaw drop. Um, a little less so once you start to expect that he's going to do that, but uh, you know, nonetheless, he's a very he's very much a, a solid like everyman writer. So compulsively you know, readable, very, exactly. Yeah. Much like Bendis, but Bendis I think is a little more a loftier, a little loftier. I think yeah, but Bendis and he both are very decompressed in their storytelling, which it, is something we'll get into. Indeed, and also uh, very good conversationally. Maybe you disagree on this book, but regardless, interesting, good conversation. I think so. Uh, there's also um, by Kirkman, um, Invincible. I read like the first five or six issues of that like three times, and the third time it got me, and I really liked it. Um, then I read through about the 20th. I still have all those at home. I just haven't gotten to them yet. Again, I like it. It's worth reading 20 issues of or in Walking Dead 48, but uh-huh. it's not something that like I just got to read it. Uh-huh. You know, It's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. way that Nailbiter is yeah, for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Nailbiter yeah. is like if I have an issue to read, I'm going to read it immediately. Um, and, and Ghosted is the same way. Both of those are Williamson books. Um, but you know, that said... When Outcast came out, um, you know, I was like, sort of the buzz about it was that this was Kirkman pitching a TV show. Like it was, I think that they were almost concurrent yeah. um, in, in I mean, development. It pretty much had to be the the rate. It's like they were probably, I think they were shooting the pilot not too long after the first couple issues were coming out. And yeah. so you know, and he's obviously earned that ability. I mean, he's yeah. the he's like the what the CEO or the something of he's of, the of chief image officer. C- yeah. CCO, and yeah, yeah. he's and he's you know the he's executive producer of Outcast. He's the writer of Outcast. He's the creator of Outcast. Uh-huh. I mean, he's 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 ridiculously. Um, he has his own imprint at Image. Right, right, uh-huh. Skybound. So he is he, he he's earned the ability to say, here's my comic, and it's basically a shot for shot of what I want this series to be. And, and then like, the series yeah, goes okay. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean they're not gonna say no. Yeah. Um and so I always looked at it from slightly it's weird because I wanna say it's like you know, pe- people always rag on comics that are written to be pitch documents. But at the same time, Kirkman can do that, and mm-hmm. that's okay somehow, um, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also did diminish a little bit of my interest in it. I was like, if this is being written to inevitably be a TV series, is it really a comic first? And that was a little bit of a fear and trepidation that I had going in. Uh, I think that was mostly alleviated, and we'll, we'll maybe talk about that more as we go on. Um, but, I mean, just horror in general mm-hmm. to me is something that I have wasn't really ever into. However, comics have really changed that. Like you said, American Vampire, Severed. Um, Nailbiter, Ghosted. Um, there's a lot of series, and there's a, and there's a bunch more too. I really like Hoax Hunters. Um, so Supernatural slash Horror Veil by Rucka. Supernatural slash Horror is a genre that I really like in comics. I'm starting to get a little more into it in movies, especially because I've basically realized or learned that every almost every like current horror movie has like a big twist in it now, <laughs> and I love twists. So I can't wait for Don't Breathe to find out what the big twist everyone's you know mumbling about in that. Um, but so 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 for that reason, that's sort of my entryway in. 
Um, but this is a series that I was you know never really like super excited about. I'm not the hugest possession demonic possession guy or horror, but at the same time, I know it's going to be a good story, uh-huh. and that was my expectations going in. And uh, we'll see what I thought as we go on. Yeah, and you know you bring up a really interesting point about um, just Kirkman's ability to tell a story because the thing that gets me is that. Not just how long Walking Dead has been going on for, but that Charlie Adler has been doing it for this long, too. And that is a commitment for an artist to stay oh, it's on ridiculous. that long. Totally and, different game than yeah, a writer. Oh, and, and when I went to his panel last year at NC Comic Con, he was talking about that. And he had just, I think he had just um, submitted, like, issue 44, 144 or something like that. Um, and, you know, I mean, to have that level of commitment to a writer and to a story that you want to keep drawing that over and over again. Because, you know, he talked about how you know many pages you able to get done in a day and you know i mean it and it can take a while and um so to be that dedicated is really something remarkable and so that's when you know that um you're a writer that's capable of delivering um just a really intriguing story even if it is more mainstream commercialized yeah yeah no doubt no doubt um, okay. Well, uh, any, any other thoughts going in, or we'll move on to, the, to sort of talking about the book? Yeah. Um, so, so, what is the book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What is more it? specifically talking about what is Outcast? Yeah. So, uh, I would go ahead. Oh, so yeah. I mean, Outcast is, as we said, a demonic possession series. Um, it focuses on this guy named Kyle Barnes. Um, he lives in what state does it take place in? Uh, on the show, it's West Virginia. I think yeah. it's that in the book too. Yeah, I want to say. So, I mean, you know, like. Um, very southernish kind of small town, um, and which I didn't notice by the way reading it. I didn't really? know okay. I didn't hear them as southern accents when I was. I kind of got it. Maybe that it. was my fault. Maybe not heavy southern, but I. But I mean, small town. Okay. Is more well, like no, that I got. Yeah. No, I, I agree with Rich though. You compare it, you read it next to Southern Bastards. It's, yeah, it's no, downright it's, northern. Yeah. That's a good point. No, that's <laughs> right. it's not specifically written so, but small so, town yeah. anyway. Yeah, small town. That's Definitely saw that. Yeah, 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 that's more important. Um, so yeah, he has been suffering from demonic possessions his entire life. Um, all the people uh, around him, all the people around him, his mother primarily, um, and then later on his wife. Um, and that leads to, uh, and that marriage falls apart as a result and he's blamed for it because people think that he abused them. And we Um, actually, at least by the end of this issue, we don't really still get an answer on that. Right, right. So, but, but the, but it's, it's, it's hinted at sort of right from the beginning in episode, in issue one, Mm -hmm. uh, you basically beat up your family. Right. Uh, you, you, you hurt your wife, you hurt your daughter. Right. How can you live with yourself? And so he's in, in that way, a very, very, uh, very literally an outcast. Right. And as such, he's living a totally isolated life. Um, you know, eating like you know cereal, dry or cereal. Yeah, you know, while yeah. cockroaches walk by right. on the walls, right? Water's turned off, etc. Right. No and, phone. Right. And his um, foster sister wants to get him out and back into her name is life. Megan. Megan, um, and she's married to a cop, and the cop hates him. Um, and so it's just a that situation. But um, what changes him is when um, he runs into Reverend again, and Reverend Anderson, who's his preacher. Um, growing up and and the um, two of them sort of form the uh, partnership partner relationship uh, that, that that's the core of the book right um, because just as they meet Reverend Anderson has been uh, had to answer to um, a demon several instances of demon possession most in the specifically town, uh, a, a young, young child named Joshua who actually mm-hmm. starts the series um, right and, uh, and and so sort of the cold open is is him. Um, Biting through his fingers, and while his mom is, uh, she's is chastising. Yeah. She's chastising her sixteen-year-old daughter for being promiscuous, while uh, really behind her, much worse problems are going on. Yeah, uh, and and her little boy is uh, has been possessed, and he's doing you know horrendous things. Right. So uh, Anderson is called in. Yeah. So Reverend Anderson is called in, and um, and he's. Uh, I mean, if not just as important as Kyle to the story, um, he's pretty. I mean, I, he's my favorite character in the series. He's. Um, not typical cliche, but like he has some real depth to him that makes him interesting. And um, his interactions with Kyle, he's um, more empathetic um, and What's has also a nice human element to him. Very much so. Like he is not; he's very realistic yeah, about absolutely. religion and what it is and what it isn't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is which is good because yeah. it doesn't get super heavy handed. No. Also, yeah. also, what's cool is like he plays cards, he gambles, yeah. but he's got a good heart. He you does, know? yeah. And he's not like maybe this will change, but at least right now he's not swigging back liquor all the time. No, no. So even though they went to the, the temptation, whole... seems to be there. Yeah, you know, even, without question. Even, yeah, well, he yeah, looks I mean, like that's... the kind of character. 
character who would be, but he's not. I like that restraint. And that's the he, thing, and it shows like he has struggles just like everyone else. And um, but yeah, so he's called in. He tries to perform an exorcism, and it doesn't work. And not long after, he runs into Kyle, and this leads to, as you said, a partnership between them. Where um, because um, you know Kyle was resilient to it at first, but um, has gotten to a point where. Um, you know, he realizes this wasn't just a one-time thing. He's been surrounded by demonic possession, forces of evil his entire life. One might even say to... darkness surrounds him, which oh, is the yeah, subtitle yeah, yeah, of the yeah, book. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you even re- realized you were going I forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's called, uh, volume yes. one is called A Darkness Surrounds Him. And it's the title of the first And indeed so it does. The arc, yeah. The arc and presumably the whole series, again, yeah. it's Kirkman, so who knows who's going to get offed at any point, but right. uh, is the two of them... Exp- Exploring the possessions, right. why there's so many of them, what his exact connection is, and why they're so drawn to him. And there's also a mysterious figure that shows up. Right. We'll get more sort of into the, that. And also, yeah. and also there's another, uh, like I mentioned, one one meaning of the word outcast is that he's an outcast from society. Early on in the first issue, he goes to the, hosp- I mean, the um, grocery store, and yeah. people ask him uncomfortable questions, and right? Isn't that... Yeah, that yeah. happens there, and, and and all of that. And so that's kind of that's kind of not a pleasant right. experience for him. Um, and so I think it's maybe more the show I'm thinking of. I think no, I it know. happens in the book. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The, bl- yeah. the lines blur on. Yeah, a little bit because they're very similar but the slightly show, different. The, I've only seen the pilot because I watched on YouTube, but um, it is a very faithful adaptation, at least from what I saw. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so he's an outcast, li- literally. But also another one of the intrigue is who is this mysterious man. Another one yeah. is what really happened with Kyle's background and why. What, mm-hmm. what is his connection? And sure. tied into that is that he's been he gets every time demons talk to him they say you're the outcast. Mm-hmm. You're an outcast. You're the outcast. Mm-hmm. Like he's some kind of important figure in this world of demonic possession. And you know that is a mystery that the series is definitely going to explore and probably the other meaning of the title of right. the uh, series. And there's also like... the simple oh, oh no, and to me there's also the simple play on. You know, telling a demon, "I cast you out." Right, right. It's really, it's really clever. Right, and what I like too about you know both of the main characters is that with Kyle, you know, like there are times where I'm not big on you know this mopey character who's like just got so much internal struggles and isolated and all Mm -hmm. that. But what I like about what they do with them is they really make you empathize with them because I mean he really does want you know to be in a different situation, but it's very hard for him because so many people believe that he abused his wife and daughter. Um, and then, you know... And he also and, was worried for their safety. He's worried for their safety. They don't hit you yeah. over the head with it, but yeah. it is that thing of you shouldn't be here, he says exactly, to Megan when yeah. she walks in. In other words, you'll be next. And that's why he's really, you know, he fears that he is a danger to everyone, so he's that's why he's isolating himself. Um, and, I mean, it's, like you said, it's been around his whole life. His mother was demon possessed and she's now hospitalized and um you know barely alive really and also not to mention the fact that even if you took demons out of the equation obviously they were the cause for a lot of his mother's treatment of him but he was he was basically an abused child sure who ended up in foster care so that's going to play a role on this character just even if there was no supernatural element yeah um to to his character one thing i loved and what you mentioned is you often are, are, are a little tired of the you know, uh, loner who yeah. who needs to be a hero, but he's mm-hmm. he, he's so like jaded and pissed that he can't get there. Right, right. Uh, what was great about this book, I thought, was that it didn't belabor or beat me over the head with that, yes. and it didn't make yeah. it go on for five issues of him being reluctant. Exactly, he jumps in the game real quick once he realizes that maybe there's like a a, a ladder up. Um, out of out of this darkness, or that, or maybe he can help somebody. It's quick. It's not like fuck you, Reverend. I'm you know no, right, I'm, right. It, like that first issue, I think in the hands of another writer might have taken five issues. Uh, I mean, exactly. You think about how much happens in that first issue, and in the pilot as well, which is you know of the show. Uh, the, you know, they he gets to that point. I mean, he undergoes an arc just in that first issue, and that to me, it, particularly in this day and age, is really impressive because we live in you know, a trade-based comic industry where, you know, you spread out a story over the course of an arc where, as it used to be, you know, you had to tell a full story. Not that there aren't full stories being told in um, a single issue, but still, you know what I mean? Like, there, um, people sometimes take an entire arc just for the hero to get to that point. Exactly. And that really annoys me. Um, it's too long, yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's unnecessary. Yeah. And, you know, in real life, you know, it's, it's much more likely that you're either going to stay like that reluctant, jaded asshole forever, 
Or if you're going to snap out of it... You're going to snap out of it a, a little know, more quickly. Yeah. I feel yeah. like. I, feel I do, like, too. Yeah. Depends on the situation, but... Well, I agree. And I, I like it because I think it's Kirkman noticing his own tendency to take his time yeah. and being like, no, let's get to it quick. And then he, he does decompress. Yeah, you think the trade after the first issue does kind of start going at a, at a more set pace. But it's a set yeah. pace we can go with because at least it's not him fighting it for six issues. Exactly. It's him going, all right, let's get uh-huh. started. But I'm, it, Kirkman's like, I'm going to take my time. <laughs> To yeah, tell no. this story. And I mean, and volume two kind of is a lot of repeating. Um, but, you know, but I mean, still, like, it's a testament that just to, that Kyle is able to get to that point early on. Um, that, you know, the audience is able to be intrigued in him because they were like, okay, he's on a mission now and um, let's get going here. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely interesting and it pulls you along. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the characters. You mentioned that mm-hmm. you liked uh, the Reverend. I um, do love Reverend, and he's your and he's your favorite character. Yeah. Uh, are there any other characters that you thought, or why do you like him? And, and what other mm-hmm. characters? Did, well, we already sort of went over that. What other mm-hmm. characters do you, do you um, sort of like yeah. in this? I think Kyle. Um, I like Megan a lot. I like how she's determined to you know get him back into the game and. She has her own struggles as well. I mean, she comes from an abusive past as well. With you know, as we mentioned, Donnie earlier is who abuses her. I mean, that's a th- I mean, that's a real focal point of the series is dealing with abuse and um, at, you know, which is difficult subject to tackle in a comic book. But um, you know, that's something that the, all the characters really suffer from. Um, but I, I like it. How- almost uses. Uh, demonic in, in a way, right, right. it uses demonic possession as an analogy right, for right. when a person gets rage inside them, right, and starts right, behaving right. in a way and, and, and hurting people right. around them. Exactly. Although, although it is completely supernatural in this, and it doesn't go so far as to like really make that illusion or that analogy, uh-huh. it is something you can sit on top of it as as a, as a an overlay. As an overlay, exactly. Um, so I like her. What? I, yeah. I mean, when, as I kind of said earlier, what I love about Robert Anderson is just he really is a multifaceted character in that. He has, um, you know, struggles like everyone else. He's not the guy with all the answers, um, and he's not a character of a preacher, as you might see. I mean, you know, they got something I get annoyed by, so I like that they make him into a relatable character that um, is firm in his faith, but not, um, you know, without temptations and struggles, um, and not afraid to admit that either, you know? I mean, he's like someone you can get behind, and, um, and he's not pushy or shovey with Kyle, but um, you know, he feels that they're on a mission together for a reason, and I just really like that element, and, um, I just think his dialogue is written pretty well. Um, the actor also in the show, just from what I've seen, does a fantastic job. I think in general, if you want to talk sort of a little bit about the show, is that it, it really, it, it's almost like Kirkman had these actors in mind. Oh, yeah, I mean, no, like, I that, so. Robert so. Glenister, I think, is the guy who plays Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's perfect. Oh, it is. Well, yeah, it's yeah. a very different situation, because obviously Kirkman has had at least five years' worth of experience in sure. TV at the point that the sure. series was starting. Sure. And, you know, it's a very different situation. Walking Dead was a book he never really, I think at first, didn't have in mind for anything but comics, because he says as much in the introduction mm-hmm. to the series. Of, no, I just want to keep it going forever and ever and ever. They're not going to let you do that in a movie or television. Right. Now, yeah. AMC might, might right, as long as they can keep those actors. <laughs> but, you know... Well, even that they can turn over and keep it. You yeah. know what I mean? Even that they could... I mean, with Joel, the exception of maybe yeah. the the core, but even them. You could rotate them all the out. The team is... Well, it's kind of already... They, well, no, like what so I mean different. is you could do... You, I could see a point four years from now. I don't even watch it. But right, I could see right, a point right. four years from now We're where people like there. Rick aren't even there. Right, right. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's you know, season 10 and 11 and 12. Is, right. It's almost a spinoff, but it's still just The Walking Dead. Just yeah. Fear the Walking Dead. Well, maybe. Yeah, 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 maybe. But I, I think what's interesting is, you know, when you see, even from the first season of that show, it's like, Things are changed. Things are rearranged because he was just writing a comic. But now I haven't seen the pilot, but it sounds like just from hearing you guys that it is very clear he wrote six issues, and it's like these are going to be the episodes. Yeah, and this is the breakdowns for those plots. Yeah, I'll be like, interested to see how that goes. Like because of a what you mentioned about the decompression that happens after the first issue, uh, because the first issue I believe was oversized in this series. At least it felt yeah, that way. It was, yeah. And and so which is really crucial for any series. A saga did that really well. Yeah. The series mm-hmm. did, and a lot of series do that. And I think it's absolutely essential sure. uh, if Monstrous. you're trying to build a fan base. Monstrous, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know that makes for a pilot. Sure, you got a double issue. You can. Sure do a pilot there 
Um, but I mean, the littler issues, the 18 page issues, that's going to be a little, or 22 pages, uh, that's uh, going to be a little bit more of a challenge, especially as decompresses it gets. Sure. So I wonder if it's going to go beyond the first volume, the first season. And I mean, it would have to anyway, even if it went issue by episode. Yeah, I don't even know how many episodes there are. Ten. For ten that's always, I mean, yeah, that's always the trick when you, when you start adapting something that isn't finished is if you catch up, what do you do then? I think they have at least next season will be good. And then, or has it been renewed? I don't even know. I'm sure. So. I kind of well, doubt it. Well, also, you have um, Preacher is also on the air. And this is what's interesting about that is that it took a totally different approach. Obviously, that's based on uh, a graphic novel series or, or a, a comic series that had, what, 60 issues? Something 66 like that. issues. Um, yeah. And that came out a while back. Um, so it wasn't the same where it was written as, a, as like a make this into a film, uh, right, series, right. please. But it, what's interesting about it is that, you know, they went a different approach. Instead of saying this is going to be the first issue and the first episode, they said, uh, we're going to go back and... We're going to do a prequel to uh, the whole, whole series. Prequel. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's sort of implied in the book that all this stuff went down further and they get to make that season, yeah. which is great yeah, because cool. it makes it really, really colorful and fun for people who've read the whole Preacher series mm-hmm. and it was a great introduction. I haven't seen it. I've seen the first episode. No, I've seen the whole season. I, I really I know, enjoyed yeah. it. Um, I could We could do a whole episode on Preacher, no, no problem. That would be fun, sure. actually. But... Uh, as far as Outcast goes, um, what I think's interesting, getting back to the characters, uh, I, I, I said in my intro that I don't like the speechifying that tends to come with Reverend sure, characters, sure. but I do like his because it's very pragmatic. Yeah, it's very approachable. I don't think he's so high-minded about himself or about religion. Mm-hmm. Give me the speechifying. I, what do you mean by that exactly? It's just him, and you get a page or two of just him talking about uh, philosophy mm-hmm. or, or the nature of good and evil, or and so you like get that soliloquy a lot. almost. Yeah, and you get that a lot in these types of stories. I mean, you get that a lot in a lot of stories, but it's it's these very specific topics that you always hear about in possession fiction. And uh, I think they make a good version of it. I was just saying, in general, I'm always kind of wary of it, but I do think Kirkman does a good job with it. I think he does a good job with all the characters. I think it's a very multifaceted cast of extremely flawed people. There's no, like, golden child in this cast. The only people who are pure anything are you've got characters that seem like they're pure evil, or they're demons, so of course they're pure evil. Everyone else has good and bad in them, and it's a matter of which one's going to win. And I think that makes for an interesting... Uh, dynamic for a whole series where evil can take over at any moment for a character. Sure. It's 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 definitely interesting. Um, it asks interesting questions. Also, uh, it, it asks the question: What I real well? I guess we could talk. We'll talk about that more when we get into uh, the thing. But but remind me to talk about when we get to our our spoiler session. Um, you know the, the that line being blurred between is this person really possessed or are they just monstrous? <laughs> you know, as a human being, and there's a couple instances where that comes up really brilliantly later. Yeah. Those were by far my favorite parts of, of this of this book. Sure. Um, why don't we uh, before we get to this book? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say art is one thing. That's what definitely I was just going to go to. Well, yeah, go. Yeah, 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 I was going to say, I was going to say, why don't we before we get to the spoiler part talk about the other aspect of any graphic novel uh-huh. or any comic series, uh, the art. Okay. Sure. Uh, uh, how do we like it? I, I, I really it. liked it. I love um, it. I love it, too. Yeah. I think it is immediately engaging. Uh, it's very... You know, I, I feel like you almost can't talk about this book, though, without talking about the color. Because... Brightweiser. Exactly yeah, Elizabeth Brightweiser does genius. the colors. She, she does the, Velvet. She did the A lot of other too. books. She does a lot of um, uh, the stuff that um, uh, Brubaker... It's, she's a Brubaker collaborator. Yeah. It's on one hand, it's very simple. It's not like at times. Simple feels like the wrong word. It's, it's very it's straightforward to me. It's very evocative of like old classic horror films in that um, there's a subtlety to it, but also a real richness in the texture. Like like it could be a black and white version, but that's yeah. Um, I would because this feels color, like yeah. EC Comics type. Yeah, of it art. is. It is. Um, yeah. I think. As Asita, as Akeda does like fantastic work of just doing very simple feels like the clear, clear art, clear, yeah. clear characters. There's yeah. nothing abstracted except for the evils, which right. they should be because right. they're unknowable type of things. But like the characters, their expressions, they all come through very clearly, and you can always tell when there's a scene change. Going back to the color, because the scenes each have yes. their own unique hues and and tones, and it's like. The, the there's a saying I've heard a lot about both lettering and coloring is if if they're doing their job right you don't even notice it yeah and I think both and that goes for the lettering too by Russ Wooten yeah um like it for, just tells the story right and it never sticks me up it never catches me you never, never like that looks odd it all fits um, one thing I wanted to mention about the art I love that what Asasita does and this seems like something he does 
Because, you know, when you hear about collaboration, you always think how much of it is strictly the script. But looking at this, you can tell, are these tiny, like, mini frames? Uh, Yeah, yeah, Tiny squares of, like, just... Slight scenes to show and all like on top of that. Yeah. Well, it's like... it's it's almost other than action beats. It, they seem to be um, response beats, uh, 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 reaction beats. Uh-huh. So what, what you'll almost always see in them, like here, it's very is, like is what is the impact that it's had on the character. Yeah. In between the two scenes, so, so there's... it's like you, this guy says something, and then you get to see like in between two two two. Yeah, panels. it's like in, in between. Or go ahead. It's like a Frank Miller thing. Like in Dark Knight Returns, you you have those pages that are like sixteen panels in there, and they'll have those where like the you see a lot of faces in these tiny panels uh, over tech, you know, covering others on there. But that to me is what it kind of evokes. But it's just what's, this, yeah, like reaction. What's really shots. what's really clever about it is, I just realized this now that we're looking at it is mm-hmm. that. It's 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 brilliantly done for horror because yeah. what it does is it's like you know how you're watching a horror movie and all of a sudden like somebody's nails start to like grip yeah. a little tighter and they yeah. show a close up of it to get your tension up. You exactly. can't see anything but that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you see in somebody's eyes that they just got scared or they're about to do something right. horrific. Right. Right. It's that. So like here, he's got his nails like there, like right there. Yes. It's like so you know how he's feeling. His nails are clenching. Here, this guy looks over skeptically, like uh oh, you know, uh, or or concerned. It's one of the big tricks in comics is because you can't show action and motion. Sure, it's very sure. much you have to suggest with panel progression. And you know, looking at some of these pages, there's a scene in uh, the first volume, I think first issue, maybe second issue. It's it's hard. There's no like strict breaks in the uh, right, trade. Right. But there's a scene where Kyle gets just punched in the face. Yeah. And and you look at this panel and it's it's the cop. He's swinging around. You got the punch already has happened. And that panel would work. You could take out these mini frames, and you would be able to read the action. It would work perfectly. But he has these two smaller panels: one of the fist impacting, and then one of like the next second of like the fist pushing him down out of the frame. And it just it it, it, it elevates motion. the motion in a really simple way of having like here are these mini beats. And, and it's also not all overdone. throughout the series. They yeah. put them in, and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because for me, especially the reaction shots uh, are they really add a lot of color and 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 value to the series because what it does is it ta- it allows you to have it allows you to pack in without having 16 panels on a page mm-hmm. it allows you to pack in a lot, mo- a lot more movement information movement mm-hmm. and, and and personality and, and reaction and emotion right uh, and it allows you to integrate that in a way that doesn't make it like watchmen yeah, where yeah, there's exactly. 16 freaking panels yeah, and it doesn't or, or 20 and it, and, it's a great well it's a great marriage of artists with creators again it's decompressed scenes but as the cita goes Let's they're decompressed, but let's really show the action and give it a flow. Even though not a lot's happening, you can we're gonna give the rich detail of everything that does go on. So it, it's just a great artistic touch. And you know, like right now, I'm taking a um, Hitchcock class uh-huh. in film, and one of the things we talk about, like sort of one of his big rules for suspense, is that it has to be driven by emotion. Because, oh, like, yeah. for example, let's say that. Um, you know, in the in a movie, a uh, bomb's planted under a train or something. It's more impactful if you let the viewer know that at the beginning of the film than to have it come out of nowhere because then you're more in, you become more invested in the characters and you're fearing for them because you know what's going to happen and um, rather than it just happen randomly. Interesting. That's a different it. thing. It's a different that's thing, playing but, well, with that's playing with viewer emotion. It's playing with viewer, but as it, opposed to demonstrating character emotion. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that like just the emotional aspect. There has to be at the core of the suspense mm-hmm. and of yeah. the horror, and I yeah. think that's really well executed. No, I, I I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think you're I thought this is where you were going to go with it, and, and your analogy really holds also with thinking about Psycho. Yeah, that entire scene exactly. was her face mm-hmm. when she's getting slashed. Right, it's and her reaction to it, and the horror of that, as opposed to seeing the actual slashing. Right, obviously that was done for for reasons they couldn't show the slashing. Sure, sure, but also. It really is even more effective, more effective for it yeah, because it you see this person dying in their face, and it's it's re- and horrified, and and I don't know. I just and, think it's really well done. Oh, and for me, when I was reading this, oh, like here's an example. She's she's on the steering wheel, yep. and they're they're driving together, and she's nervous. Uh, this is his sister, mm-hmm. Megan, and uh, and Kyle driving after the supermarket. And Kyle's like waiting to get driven home. He's like, yeah, I said yeah. I'd give you an hour. That's it. She's nervous for a couple reasons. We don't know why the second reason yet, which is that her husband's going to be really disapproving when they get there. Mm-hmm. But the other reason is that she knows Kyle's just about to find out that 
he's not going home and she's actually taking him for like a you know to, to hang out with her daughter and all this stuff he doesn't want and then we see a little panel here which is her tapping nervously on the steering wheel yeah. and what is that and not a little panel one of these little side things we were talking about overlays mm-hmm. and what that gives us all kinds of information it, it tells us the kind of her character it gives us a right. look into her characterization I almost right. see her as one of those little bit nervous girls like you'll see like in an 80s movie he's yeah. like, you know and then I also see her as somebody who really cares a lot but also has some anxiety issues that have come from you know her her upbringing. I mean, yeah. it's just a, it adds a lot. Sorry, you were saying. No, it's just for me. Like when I was reading it, those were the moments that really made me just stare at the page, like the close ups and um, and even just the exterior shots of um, you know just outside a house or whatever. It just had that eeriness to it that was really intoxicating. Well, yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. One more thing I wanted to say about the art. Um, it is Elizabeth Brightweiser who work, has worked with um, with Brubaker, yeah. and and very much the style of this book reminds me of uh, Sean Phillips uh, and his work. It is Phillips, right? Who does all Sean the Phillips? Yeah, the, the criminal. Yeah, incognito. So, all those books. Ladies. So I've read like all of the criminal stuff, um, including uh, Savage Sword of Criminal, which is I think the most recent. Maybe there's something after that, but um, I've read all the criminal stuff, and I've read interviews with them about how they do that art, and the coloring is also very very important in those. I forget who does it, um, but. I, I, I don't know, just, just the art and criminal. There's coloring in that that's very much like this, where the hues are absolutely evocative of what's going on in that scene. Sure. And to do that, what they have to do is they have to limit their palette. Um, so they limit the palette of the number of colors you get, but then sometimes they'll release those limitations and you'll see all the trees and all the colors in the trees, and it, like here. And it gives you um, a really nice... Um, so there's greens and oranges and, and blues and all that. It gives you a really nice like yes. full-color look. And then when you go into another scene, you'll get, you know, a much more stylized hue of blue and darkness here. Like, he's a detective, and he's coming in. This is Luke Masters' detective. He's coming into the door. He's a Constantine-looking fellow. Yeah, he looks like Constantine. But it's got, like, a blue, like, you know, like, uh, noir-ish vibe to it. And then you'll have some others that have, like, a green to them, and then others that have, like, a red to them when there's rage and fury Mm -hmm. happening in the the frame. A lot of dark blue with the possession scenes and whatnot. Right, and then a real, like, dark gray with, like, talking about age and, Mm -hmm. and oldness and, 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 and sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that stuff is something that was very much explored in the Criminal series, and I see it again here. Brightweiser, obviously, is, Elizabeth Brightweiser is the, the uh, colorist, as we mentioned, and, and she's a, a regular uh, collaborator with Brubaker, uh, sure. like I said, on Velvet um, and, uh, and other things. So anyway, really good art. Absolutely. All right. Um, I think we did really well. Yeah, that's that's about forty minutes there on our non-spoiler section. Hopefully, you're intrigued to pick up the book. Um, as far as whether or not, I think it's worth a read. Oh, I uh, we're going to talk yeah, more I mean, specifically. Well, no, I mean, not like my old under, but I, I'd give it a solid eight out of ten. You know. Yeah, and so I'm I'm along that lines. I have the second one. Maybe it's telling I haven't read the second one yet, but yeah. I'm, I'm definitely probably going to after this discussion. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to get a little more into spoilers now. Yeah. In um, fact, fully um, fully into spoilers. Yes. Talk about the plot. Where things go by the end of the volume, uh, what we think might be going on and happen next, yeah. hypothesizing. Uh, so cool. this will be the cutoff. Pause now if you don't want to hear that. If not, keep listening. And three, two, one. Spoiler cast. All right, all right. So um, this this book uh, goes in some interesting directions. I wouldn't say that it's completely unpredictable. Um, it definitely has. You know, two heroes sniffing out what's going on with possession. One of them is directly emotionally tied to possession, um, being uh, Kyle. One of them is a little bit of an outsider, but he's very tied in as well emotionally through religion and through wanting to save and, and help people. Um, and then we also have an antagonist, uh, who, or multiple antagonists, one of which is the people who are possessed, um, who may or may not be evil people in and of themselves, but they certainly, when they become possessed, uh, are demonstrate true evil. Um, and then also a big bad, or at least what we think is the big bad yeah. at this moment. He's the man in the hat. At one point, he's also referred to as Sidney, but that's when he's posing as a character's brother. Uh, so it's very possible that, that is not his name, or maybe it is. Maybe he's not his brother, but he is Sydney. We don't know. But the man in the hat has started starts appearing around the third or fourth issue, and yeah. he it may be the fourth, been, fourth, might have been, been earlier than that. Maybe the yeah third, maybe third. yeah. But know. he is uh, ominous, but ominous in a smiling way and in a smirky way. And in fact, all of the demons in this have like a sense of humor, like an evil laugh. Mm. Uh, that's the way that, that, they, that the uh, creators have chosen to express these demons. And, and so they, they take glee in their evil. Um, they, sure. they, they really enjoy it and they laugh at, at, at how much it's bothering you as a human that they're destroying your life. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. But anyway, this big bad, Sydney, 
um, we really don't know what his motivations are. Um, by the end, we get an idea that he's definitely very malicious. Um, Just to say the least. Um, but uh, I mean, we get a scene of him taunting Kyle's mother for failing to save him. So, uh, <laughs> which is which is brutal. And then it does sort of tie into it does sort of illustrate that probably these characters have a history that goes back a bit. Um, maybe even his mom. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of room there for stuff to be built out. Um, but let's talk about some of the, the big points of the uh, series. So we have we have like I said we have the the, the, the dynamic of the two, you know, detective types, and then the big bad, and then everything, and then all the demons around it. So how do the beats play out within that framework? Well, to me, I think the biggest question mark is what exactly Kyle's role is. And again, we we talk about that doesn't really get an answer by the end. And why is he the outcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Probably not going to get an answer for a long time, or maybe uh, an answer that has more questions still. Yeah, because uh, like we you were named out... an outcast uh, six years ago, don't you remember? And he's like, "What? What?" And then you know, yeah. And so the the first real hint of it is he. We, well, we find out he's had possessions occur a lot, but then he goes to help with the kid that opens the series out, and when the kid bites him. He finds out that his blood burns him, and he has that big scene of, like, expelling yeah. the demon, and uh, it becomes quickly apparent that there's something else to Kyle that makes the demons obsessed with him, but also scared of him, rightly so, for some reason. Uh, the woman, uh, the elderly woman uh, who we meet later. Who's she, given him the side from the second he walks in. She does not like him. Um, but she, she's one of my favorite, like, small characters. She they, they, they give a lot of personality to how much she's just, like, having none of him. Like, you know, sort of like a, when, when you have, like, a dog that just doesn't trust somebody. <laughs> There's, like, the demon inside of her right, as yeah, the dog. Yeah. Uh, her name is Mildred, appropriately. Yeah, um, and the minute that Kyle walks in, when he gets close to her, she's hating it. Right. And uh, we, we know from the scene you mentioned that the reason for that is because when when Kyle gets near demons, they aren't feeling it. They aren't liking it. <laughs> um, just sort of how it goes. Um, yeah, and so, so basically some of the big beats that we have are, um, you know... The Kyle has a, a nice sort of heart to heart with with the old man neighbor, uh, who is then uh, later um, probably murdered by uh, the man in the hat slash Sydney, who then later poses his brother. Mm-hmm. Another big one is Kyle runs into I mean, these are out of order, but I'm just thinking of what comes to mind. Sure. Kyle runs into uh, this guy Donnie, who turns out to have been an abuser, maybe or maybe not under the influence of a demon. We don't know uh, when he was younger, but he abused in some way Megan, uh, Kyle's, uh, uh, foster sister, um, who isn't his real sister, but she considers herself his sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know that Mark was really, really, is really, really, really angry about that whole thing. Mark is Megan's husband. Um, and we also know that Mark hates Kyle, uh, because he thinks that he really hurt his little, Kyle's little boy and, and, and wife. And so he's like, how do you even live with yourself? So there's that kind of clash there that we see. Um, there's also um, this really interesting interlude that I loved of Luke Masters. He's this detective that shows up. Um, and uh, we, the first we see of it is this like out-of-nowhere flash of this character we've never seen before arriving home. And uh, he, he there's this like loner dude. We don't know he's a loner yet, but he's sort of sitting there looking subdued in the foreground. And there's Luke getting home and his wife is there. Um, and Luke has to go out and do something, and the next thing we see is this loner dude walks over to Luke's wife, uh, whose name is Teresa, um, and the guy, the loner dude is Blake, um, we find out later, um, but he walks over to her and, like, tries to kiss her, and she's like, no, Blake, no, like, that's not appropriate, and then he, like, bites her tongue out, and then, I guess, proceeds to kill her, and then Luke gets home, and there's Blake in the corner laughing and smiling. Um, and so he is another example that we get in this book of, of a demon, or a possessed person, uh, a person possessed by a demon, uh, which is which is interesting. Um, but what I think is really interesting is uh, there's a part later when um, Paul obviously is now on sabbatical, the, the detective, um, and he or work release or work leave or administrative leave it is, and uh, he goes and enlists the help in in one issue of Kyle and Reverend Anderson. Uh, he says, "I know my friend wouldn't do this. The guy he is now isn't him. There's got to be something going on here. I read your file. I know." Uh, that you are good at dealing with these kind of situations, Kyle, because I read about you and your mom and you and your family, so can you please come help me? It takes a little convincing, thankfully not too much, because that always annoys me in books, and they decide to go and help. When they get to the prison, they find out that this guy, Blake, 
he he's really riding the line between just a snarky asshole and possessed. You're really not sure. And at a certain point, and he's just saying like really things to enrage them, like you know your wife was this or your wife was that, or are you glad I did this to you, friendo? I'm, I'm making those things up, but those kind of ideas of really yeah, sticking yeah. it in Paul's yeah. face. Paul hits him in the in the head, um, and then Reverend Anderson calls Kyle outside and says, Kyle, we need to leave. This guy's not possessed. He's just an asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's just a monstrous killer. Um, and then Kyle, being much more sensitive to this kind of thing and much more sort of attuned to it all, maybe it's in his blood, maybe he just gets it, whatever it is, he realizes, no, something's going on here. And so at this point we start to see in the book that there are shades of possession. Uh, it's not just one thing. It's not just you're possessed and you're evil, end of story. There are stronger demons, or and we find that out a little bit later as well, but he's not able. That he then says, "Well, after we punched Paul in the face, after punch Paul punched uh, Blake in the face, we're never going to get back in here. So we need to go back in there, and you need to give me a chance to try to get this guy's demon out of him." And he fails at it, and he says, "Wow, this is something different." And that's when he said, "These are stronger demons than we've ever encountered before." And that's when we find that. And then you see Blake on the ground, sort of smiling and you know cackling and and, and really evil. And so that's interesting. And then later we see another shade. Of this, of 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 what demons, are, what humans are like, possessed by demons in Mildred, who earlier we encountered, and at that point presumably she was possessed, but we didn't know it. So it's kind of like a little twist reveal later when no, she's not just sort of like a mean old woman, a cranky old woman. She's she's possessed, and that reveal is really cool, and it shows us that you know there may be a lot more demons around us that we don't even know about. Yes. They're just not as strong or as malevolent. Um, so it really opens things up to a, to a really interesting and colorful tapestry of what what, the, what what could be the the world or the status quo here. It's a it's a careful balance to strike though because one of my things is like I like I love the idea of different levels and different ways of affecting people, but I, I would like I, I think what it needs is something definitively because I like that scene in the prison, but I would want something that's definitively evil without being possessed because it, it starts to get to the idea that demons are just the cause of all of humanity's problems yeah. if you have everyone evil be demon demonically possessed in some way then it's true it's like suggesting no we're inherently good we're just afflicted by demons like it's an illness as opposed to anything else well in that ca- in that way then what they would need to do is have a scene where it goes the other way where they meet somebody and maybe the reverend or somebody says, no, this guy's not a demon, he's just an asshole. And they find out, yeah, he's just an asshole and he's not possessed. And then that could let you know that, that yes, there's also that. Yeah, but I, I do like that everyone is flawed in some way. I just wouldn't want it all to be explained away by demons, did it, you know? No, that's a fair point. Cause, yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I, for me, I see Mark as that guy that, you know, he's kind of a jerk. and um, But, I mean, at his core, he still wants to do good. I think it's just that he so adamantly believes that Kyle did abuse um, his wife and daughter, but I don't see really any shades of demon possession. No, there. no, but and so that's true. Okay, yeah, but we, uh, that's a good example of a character. Yeah. No, that's true. I, I and didn't he did get violent. He got violent, and... and that's when I hope they won't go down that road. Like they'll just leave him as you know. He's very has very human qualities. Yeah, but they could go that. That's they the thing. could. Yeah, and, it, no, and that's it's hard to point. tell right now. And that's a good. But point, I, I do know. like. I, I think his rage is entirely justified because what I like, as we mentioned, it kind of does tie to the idea of abuse and and yeah. but like the possessions Kyle's encountered in his life do paint that narrative. It'd yeah. be impossible. A kid gets abused as a child, ends up abusing his own family, is a common narrative is, in yeah. the world. It so is, yeah. it makes sense people yeah. would see it that way and not have any question, any problem sure. accepting it. It's it's definitely true. I also like uh, the way that this book has not. Uh, made the possessions extremely exorcist-like or extremely cliche. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they still have the holy water and the cross up, but the idea the 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 idea of the blood being necessary and Kyle being there and and that the transfer of the demon through the mouth or whatever's going on with that is all really interesting stuff, and it's different than the the the, the normal possession. We strap the person down and we try to rip the demon out of them mm-hmm. by insulting it or whatever. Um, so I think it's good that it's different, and it's also good that they haven't revealed too much yet. We don't really yeah. know how it all works, and yeah. and where that demon goes. Is Kyle absorbing them? Maybe right. he is. Uh, we don't really know, but we do see what looks like an exchange of black stuff through the two, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So and volume I, two, you don't really get any more answers. It's just a heads up. So like, it's yeah, still, it's all right. It's kind of time. Yeah. Do we, we get? I mean, we'll just do, no, no details, but do we get any answers on anything in volume two? There is more. It does with Kyle's family, and so you get to see. You know, no, it's a deepening of the characters, deepen more to mythology, more the characters. Absolutely, interesting. Yeah. I think fine. that's fine, yeah. and, I, and I do think it's like we talked about a little about how that's Kirkman, though. I think it's it that is, deep yeah. compressed. Mm-hmm. You're going to go along with. I mean, there's a reason. 
uh, I read Walking Dead in compendium form, right. where yeah, it's like right. 48 That's issues right. at a chunk, because it's like, if You're gonna you read trade to trade, it's like, man, nothing's Imagine reading for 20 issue. issues. Imagine reading issues. And I know people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too, that guy I told you about. It. But again, back then it was a little more... Well, maybe things got... I don't know. That's I don't know. Well, you do something for, like, four years, if like, to start, and then yeah. it's just, like, it becomes a habit. Yeah, for, cer- for certain. Um, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely got some intrigue there. Uh, what do you guys think about this this sort of big bad that we have, this man in the hat? Um, and, uh, and, 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 and I guess let's get to the ultimate spoiler. Uh, the way that the book ends, the, the final event, is, uh, see, that after they have this event that I just described in the, in the prison or the jail with Blake... Um, they're starting to get some answers. They're like, man, you know, demons come in different strengths and we're really not prepared. We need to learn a lot more. We need to find out what's going on. But we are seeing what's going on here a little bit more clearly. Mildred is another example. She was possessed. We didn't know it. We really have to see what we're up against, but we're starting to get a picture of the, like the complexion of this issue. And right when they start to get that clarity, uh, the man in the hat rolls up on the reverend and you know he's coming because in trip- typical horror movie fashion the more than ever before in the whole you know six issues you get like this long drawn out him opening his door oh, going inside laying his keys down the reverend uh you know opening the fridge sitting on the couch or whatever it is just going through the paces in long really decompressed form <laughs> uh knowing that you know something very bad is going to happen and i was thinking and really hoping it wouldn't be that he was going to die i was really hoping he wouldn't die i guess we don't fully know i think it's pretty uh, easy assumption that he's not dead um but what we see is that the man in the hat says you guys are getting way too close uh good job learning all about us it's got to stop, and it's got to stop now. Um, and uh, he carves a. He says, "Whenever you see my, whenever you start getting close to the truth again, or you see me, or any of this, remember my mark and stop, or something yeah. like that." And he carves a like a demonic star yeah. into his into his chest, into Reverend Anderson's chest. And by the end, we just sort of see him laying there with this mark in his chest. And then at the end, the very end of the book, we have a character moment uh, with a little more insight into Kyle's uh, childhood. Uh, where he, you see sort of his mom and, and, and how difficult it was dealing with his mom and, and when she was possessed and all of that. And then she all disappears and you see him standing in an empty room and he says, you're just a room, you don't have any power over me. And it's, it took me a minute to figure out what they were talking about and I was like, oh yeah, that's a callback to earlier when he's about to open the door. See, once he's starting to face all this shit he, head on, uh-huh. a lot of like the hiding that he was doing is stopping. Because you know, after and it's also a reveal, I guess, that this house he's living in currently is his childhood home before he moved to the foster home, where his mom and him had all those bad events. And so that's kind of, I guess, I, I think I already knew that, but I think it's that's... It's one of those things where, because, you know, with the with the color changes and all that, it's a little, maybe hard to tell at first. Yeah, so. but now I, but but at that point, but, it makes it very clear he's home. Um, sure. and, and so, but I like that, because earlier he, it was foreshadowing to it a few issues earlier, when he goes to that door, he's about to open, and he goes, no, I'm not ready for that yet. Uh-huh. So and I, and I, and I guess I'm sort of formulating this on the fly, but I guess I like it better that instead of the evolution of his character being, I'm not going to help, I'm stubborn, uh, and then work and getting closer and closer to helping. Instead, it's all right, I'll reluctantly help. All right, now I'm going to help and be into it. And not and instead of having it be drawn out like him wanting to help, it's drawn out how much he's able how to face he is. or yeah, how yeah, much yeah. he's able to face the past. Right. Sure. Well, it's an in, well, it seems like again. Having not read the second volume, um, an inversion because you have someone who was very committed to it getting smacked down by a full-on demon dude, mm-hmm. being like, "You need to cut this shit out," versus him being like, "No, it's time to go to work." Basically, right? So how that's really going to play out? Well, it's, yeah. it's obviously going to. I mean, I'm, I'm holding up my hands and I'm about to shoot him off in different directions here for those in podcast land. It's obviously going to cause some kind of rift between Kyle and the Reverend, um, which I think is is kind of typical of any fiction I've ever oh, yeah, read yeah, yeah. is yeah. if you have a duo you gotta you gotta throw something in to act as a wedge sure. in that relationship otherwise it just becomes boring I mean think right. about the X-Files think about every partnership you ever saw uh, the killing um, you know every every one of those there's always like some big thing that causes a rift in that relationship uh, true detective you know I mean you name it so they had to do something there and, and I think that this is a good way to do it but it is gonna bother me if it's a whole lot of dramatic is it called dramatic irony? Yeah, dramatic irony or dramatic tension, like the Shakespearean term of when the audience knows more than the characters do. Dramatic, dramatic irony. Yeah. Dramatic irony. So what we're going to have is, you know, 
the uh, I'm guessing in the next episode or the next volume, Kyle saying, "Come on, let's go. We got to go in there and handle this." And the Reverend being like, "No, I don't think that's a good idea." Mm-hmm. And Kyle being like, "Why not? That's bullshit, old man, or whatever." And he's just like, "No, I just don't think it's a good idea." And we're frustrated as shit watching this. Like, fuck, dude, he doesn't know that he's yeah. Why he's not wanting to, you know? And yeah. so I don't love being frustrated like that Harris. or having a main character who's got to deal with the frustration of dealing with someone when they don't really know the deal. Um, We'll see how it's handled. We'll see how it plays out, exactly. Um, But, yeah, overall, I think... Are there any other points worth bringing up? I I think just to make a little bit of a comparison to the show um, versus the comic, what do you guys think of uh, this as a comic versus a show, and and, and what do you think its strengths and weaknesses are? I've seen the first half of of the episode. I know you haven't, Jordan, but... Uh, Kevin, you've seen the first. Yeah, episode. I've seen the pilot. Um, um, how do you how do you feel about the two? I think they both work really well, and you know, as far as the whole point about you know, um, you know, people like, oh, he just wrote this comic as a you know storyboard for the show. You know, we could do a whole episode on that, you know, about that whole adaptation. Because I mean, yeah, there is a uniqueness to comics, but at the same time, if a creator that established wants to make something as comic and uh, you know quickly adapted into another medium. Um, because he knows that it's commercial enough that it would appeal to both mainstream audiences and, you know, the comic aficionados like us. Right. I don't see anything wrong with that, really, because, I mean, I think there's a place for that, and especially a book like this that's easily adaptable. He's you also... know, it's not like, you, try, you know, like, Saga is an extremely hard book to adapt because it's yeah. serialized, and... It jumps all over the place, time place and it has... It would take a massive budget this is the perfect um book to it's small deli- it's small and it's cont- and it's i mean it's a great homage to classic horror films and so i think it very it translates well into another medium um having seen the pilot i mean i thought it was perfectly casted um the aesthetic is solid i mean I, there's things about the, i mean you know the book i do like better just because i mean i could stare at the art all day and um but, I mean, it's a very entertaining show, and it's faithful to the comic, obviously, because Kirkman's writing it. Um, well, and, see, Kirkman yeah. is just such a practiced hand at doing comics that, yeah. that yeah. it's almost, like, effortless for him. Like, when you look at this first trade, you know, it, a less practiced, less adept writer and then artist team, would it would seem a lot less artistic of a comic book. It would be much more just clear, photographic-looking art. You know, much more like a, like a like a superhero comic, mm-hmm. like just clean art, um, and and it wouldn't be very stylistic. It would really just be literally that a storyboard thing. But here he's he's brought in Kirkman has assembled a group of people to make something that if it was never a show, it, it would still be a great. Book. It would still be phenomenal, and it really maybe even arguably better from what I've seen sure. so far of the show. I like the comic better. Oh yeah, and yeah, that sure. says a lot for something that kind of was intended to become a show in the first place. Sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with the great art. A lot of that has to do with the show just drags it out a little bit long because mm-hmm. I can read the first issue of this in 15, 20 minutes. I got the show's an hour. Um, but then you get so much more nuance of the characters, but maybe you don't because you don't get to fill it in yourself. They're both really good, but certainly the comic is not at all inferior. Inferior, If not, it's better. And and that is great. So I think that sort of shoots down the storyboard, makes it garbage. Right, yeah. Right. I, I agree. Yeah, I think just how much creative effort is put into telling the story. And, and the colors form. you mentioned. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and you know, art. different mediums, different benefits. That's always sure. the case. Uh, but... Again, I would like to check out the show, but I just haven't yet. There's so many shows to watch. When I think about the number of shows well, I need to watch... for a TV website, too, so... Yeah. <laughs> when I think about the number of TV shows that I need to watch, slash catch up on, slash start, it's ludicrous. It's insane. I, I mean, and I have a problem with that anyway. Um, I, you know, I'm a little commit, commitment-phobic oh, when it too. comes to shows. Like, I, I start everything, and then I, you know, I'm I like never. three episodes into everything. I just started Camelot over the weekend. <laughs> Freaking Camelot, that star show. Uh, anyway, um, it's 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 tough, but uh, but Outcast is definitely a show I'd be interested in watching. I think maybe Preacher first. I don't know. They're both interesting. I really yeah. liked Preacher. Yeah, and you know, like uh, it. it's different from the comic in a lot of ways. So yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to to see that. Let me ask you this real quick about Preacher. I know we're not talking about that, but does it have? Does it feel very uh, open and expansive, or is it very condensed in this tiny little town? Um, the world gets a lot of beats in other locations, okay, so good. there's that. That's but good. I mean, it is primarily set in Anvil, and you know, okay. uh, what I will say is it's 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 a very I think interesting way to do a show because again, had it been canceled, 
the comics out there and they told a prequel story. Because it really does. It ends where, like, the first issue opens. Does that mean we don't have it? Series 2 is not guaranteed yet? No, no, it's been... It, oh, okay. it has been, but, but that oh, was, okay. I think, the way they structured it, where it's like, this might not take off whatsoever. Right. Let's so have a unique we, version. Yeah, if we do get cancelled, hey, we have a pre- prequel. Awesome. Awesome. Alright. Well, uh, I guess that wraps up our uh, our book club. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, that was fun. Usual, but it, yeah, fun, a lot of fun. That was really fun. Uh, let's go around and talk about where you can find us. Kevin. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KWShafe. That's K-W-S-C-H-A-E-F. And at joyofgeek.net. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at IndigoMaster, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R, uh, or, of course, the joyofgeek.net, and on my personal site, jordanelsega.tumblr.com. Yeah. And you can find me at thejoyofgeek.net. Just posted a big article on uh, Mr. Robot, which uh, is, I'm really proud of. And then also uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at RTLaporte. And, uh, of course, you can find us... All at thejoyofgeek.net. Sure. You can find the episode archive joyofgaming.com. You can find us on Facebook at the, at the Joy of Geek, Joy of Gaming. You can find us uh, at Twitter at the Joy yeah, of Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are all the places you can reach out, get in touch. Let us know what you want to be the next uh, book club we do. Yes, we have we, a couple ideas we'll of what we might we might do, but um, a let us know if you like the idea of us doing it, um, and also what you'd like to see us cover in the past. And really, um, any, who won? Who's next? No, and really, kidding. anything you want us to cover, both in podcast articles, you know, I mean, that's all. But we want to interact with um, our readers and our listeners as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Hit us up on Twitter, on the website. There are comments that can be made by other people than spam bots. Yeah, yeah. spam bots yeah. for the win. Every time one pops up, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I just wait. I wait till I check. Yeah, yeah. At least yeah, it's yeah. getting traction. That's, that's we right. are, we are exactly, man. The we spam, have spam. spammers hey. love us. Spammers love us. Hey, building a website from the ground up is is, is a task, but yeah, luckily we have great listeners for the podcast. Hopefully, you guys will uh, transfer over and and look oh, at and, the joy of geek. And on that note, um, we will be well, we'll be at an NC Comic Con, not at a table then, but. Um, I just reserved us a table for Oak City Comic Con in March. So for Do you want to come any out of us? our listeners who um, either live in North Carolina or want to come out, it's going to be a great two-day convention um, in March. I don't know the exact date. We'll be talking a head. lot more about we'll it. We'll be talking more oh, about yeah. that. But, and yeah. also, if if, uh, if if you are at um, NC Comic Con this year, we'll yeah. all be there. Um, Chilling. Uh, yeah, straight, straight chilling. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. Um, well, on that note, I'm Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Shaver. And we will see you all next week. Bye-bye.